She blows. Another podcast episode. Is it? <laughs> That's why I showed up. I didn't know I was signing on for that. So let's get into the episode that we have now determined that we're making. Okay. I'm just making sure that our listeners know that they are listening to Modern Dadhood, which is an ongoing conversation about the joys, the challenges, and the general insanity of being a dad in this moment. Hold for applause. <sighs> Have I done that? I've done that joke, mm-hmm. haven't I? Yeah. Damn it. Oh, yeah. It's, it's totally worn out. I'm on repeat. Man, I just had a birthday. I'm 42 now. Yeah. So I'm, it's just, I'm just recycling stuff. My name, by the way, is my name, by the way, just for the record, my name, by the way, Mark Checkett, and I'm a dad to twin boy, almost, I'm going to start saying almost six-year-olds. They're, they're getting closer to six years of age. My name's Adam Flaherty, and I'm a father to two daughters mm-hmm. who are uh, nine and six. Do you want to tell new listeners, you know, if there's people who uh, maybe this is their first episode of Modern Dadhood or maybe well, they've only heard a couple, give them a this, quick rundown of what to expect. Listen, if this is your first episode of the show, first of all, welcome. And don't leave. Don't leave. Don't go. Stop. Wait. <laughs> tell them what? Tell them about how it's an interview show. <laughs> tell them about how you and I are not experts, but we're just a re- couple of regular Joes, a couple of dinks. Sometimes we refer to ourselves as being dinks. We are two dads trying to figure our way through things, and we enjoy talking to each other about this kind of stuff, and we enjoy talking to other dads about it. So once in a while, actually once an episode, (laughs) we have a guest, a special guest, and sometimes those guests are experts, wouldn't you say, Adam? Sometimes they are. Sometimes they're not. Today, Mm -hmm. Today, our guest is someone who I'm really excited to speak with, actually. I'm not going to tease it. I'm just going to come right out and say... You're our, teasing it a little bit. <laughs> our guest is a father and a grandfather. Mm. He was the official White House photographer for both terms of Barack Obama's presidency and also mm-hmm. the second term of Ronald Reagan's presidency. He's written many books. He's the recipient of many awards and incredible accolades. His name is Pete Souza, and I cannot wait to get him in here soon. Not our first grandfather either on the show. Also We've not our first few. guest who has worked in the White House. Also true. Yeah. Oh, that's true. I do want to say, though, before we uh, get to Pete, I just want to remind listeners that every episode of Modern Dadhood, and we've had some really cool guests and some really interesting, thoughtful topics. Every episode is available on our website, moderndadhood.com. Just hit the episodes button and you can search by topic or by guest or just scroll through the whole list of all the artwork. But anywhere you can find podcasts, uh, Apple Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeart. There you go. Just search Modern Dadhood. Anyway, though, let's get into this because it's going to be a great chat. We'll bring Pete Souza in real soon for you. Mark. What? Yes. No, I was paying attention. Did you you actually fall asleep? 
<sighs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so do you find that you, do you spend a lot of time telling them stories about like who you were before being their dad? I do tell stories about me and about my life. Most of them revolve around me getting hurt in some way. <laughs> I'm not sure how that sort of started. Is it like um, they'll get hurt or, you know, do something <clears throat> clumsy, get hurt, cry. And as you're consoling them, <laughs> that's a way to like make them feel better about being clumsy. Uh, uh, no, actually, it was more like I think I think it started because I think we were t talking to the kids about the consequence of not listening to like your parents. Mm. And instead of just being like, you know, you better listen to, to us oh, like or else. Yeah. I, I like I decided to tell a story about when I was younger and I broke. I'm not sure which one I told first. I think it was when I broke my ankle. I, and I was like a young teenager playing basketball with my friends, like out in the rain and it was cold and it was dark. And my mom kept telling me to come inside and I was like, shut up, mom. <laughs> and then uh, because it was cold and rainy and dark, I slipped and fell and broke my ankle. Probably exactly the thing that she said would happen too. basically. You'll fall and break your ankle. Yeah. Shut up, mom. Do you uh, embellish? At all, just for the sake of, you know, telling a dramatic, engaging story. Periodically, yeah, I'll add I, I won't add details, but I will draw things out and I will make things seem more. I try to do it like I'm like I'm like we're watching a movie. Yeah. You know, like I add all those little details. To yeah, make it dramatize it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The girls don't ask. Well, they I guess they do ask about. You know, what we were like before we got married and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And I, I just like sometimes I have trouble coming up with stories like I've I've hmm. had incredible experiences, but sometimes these stories don't just immediately come to mind. Yeah. Um, usually it's like just because over the years, like by chance, I've met a lot of famous people. And so usually mm -hmm. it's like they'll be watching something and I'll say, oh, uh, Anna Kendrick, she grew up in portland just up the road from here like i met her a bunch of years ago and talked to her for like an hour and they'll be like mm. you met anna kendrick and i'm like yeah it's not that big of a deal <laughs> like she's just a person and it's fun to see that she's gone on to have like such an amazing career yeah i got thinking about storytelling and the the stories that will stick with us throughout our lives that we'll continue to like tell our kids and then share yeah. with our grandkids one day and i was thinking all about all of this uh, in the context of preparing to chat with pete souza who has had this impressive illustrious career as a photographer who has been in these incredible situations that are so exclusive that like so mm -hmm. few people would have access to and what he can pass on to his family just through sort of spoken word he can pass it on through spoken word but he but but if anybody's like hey hey picks or it didn't happen pal <laughs> right he's like oh no big deal i just have several <laughs> uh, million yeah let me just plug me in just, this thumb drive. Let me just grab one of my books off the shelf <laughs> that I wrote. Let's have Pete come into the conversation and we'll get down to some of our questions here. I got a lot of them. Yeah. I hope he's got about three hours. Yeah. Because I got a ton.
Pete Souza has more accolades and accomplishments than most, including Pulitzer Prize winner, New York Times bestseller, International Photography Hall of Fame inductee, documentary film subject, and official White House photographer for two U.S. presidents. He lives in Madison, Wisconsin with his wife, Patty. He's a father, a grandfather, and I might be going out on a limb here, but I'm guessing he may be on texting terms with Barack Obama. So we're uh, delighted, Pete, to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on Modern Dadhood. You bet. Thanks for having me on. How are things going? Obviously, your uh, uh, fire hose period of your career is a bit behind you now, but I'm guessing you're probably not one to just kind of kick back and and retire. What's what's been keeping you busy? Oh, man, I got so many things going on. Um, I am tomorrow. I'm headed to the Benjamin Harrison Presidential Library to give a talk. Mm. And then next week, I'm uh, headed to Ghana to uh, do a workshop with some of the photojournalists there. I think I leave two, next Tuesday, so a week from today, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, <clears throat> not exactly just uh, putting your feet up. <laughs> no, yeah. So for those of our listeners who, for some reason or another, maybe aren't uh, familiar or haven't had the opportunity to get familiar with your career. It's a long career. It's an illustrious career. And at this stage in your life, how do you sort of sum up, if you do, what you've accomplished thus far for people? Uh, (laughs) Have you refined an elevator pitch for the last (laughs) 40 plus years? I mean, clearly the work that I will be best known for during my career is from the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. But I've done, I've done so many things that just didn't get near that much attention because I was working for newspapers and, you know, the only people that knew about what I was doing were the readers of, the, of that, those newspapers. And I, I, I freelanced for nine years at one point and had some work published in National Geographic back in the 90s. So, What I always tell people is that I don't think I was, I'm the best photographer in the world, but I think that all the experiences that I had leading up to 2009 made me absolutely the the right person to be the chief official White House photographer for Mm. President Obama. Uh, You know, I'll believe that until... (laughs) You know, until I leave this place, I mean, that I just think I was the right person. I had, you know, I had known him for four years before he became president. I had a professional relationship with him already. And I worked at the White House before during President Reagan's administration. I had been in every conceivable situation as a photojournalist. And so I just thought that, you know, that that I was the, the right person for that job. Well, I mean, there's there's so much. Obviously, there's with photography, there's so much skill involved and and a ton of knowledge that you need to get to where you were as a photographer. But also, then with something like being a photojournalist, following following a particular person around, so much of that must have like your success there. I mean, you like and I imagine would would be able to sort of anticipate a little bit 
his movement or like yeah. so much of it must come down to just snap judgments and, and a really good like understanding of timing, I suppose. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's, you know, the the kind of photographer, the type of photographer I am, it's trying to capture a moment mm-hmm. and it, it does involve anticipation. It does involve timing. It does involve precision. It does involve at times, you know, luck. If you've missed the moment, you've missed it forever. It's gone. Yeah. And I think that was probably <laughs> in many ways, that was the most stressful part about the job is, hmm. uh, and it was stressful on myself. I, you know, I caused my own stress because I didn't ever want to miss anything. So, right. um, you know, you're, you're always trying to be on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it makes me, I, I, I just recently I listened to an interview of yours from, it was maybe several years ago where you described sitting in the, uh, shoot, now I'm not going to remember the name of it. The, the, the limousine in the motorcade the spare, that the president is not to the spare, the spare. Yeah. You told this great story about capturing the faces of people who are looking in thinking yeah yeah because yeah. <laughs> they we might one, see the president but they yeah, see we you were, we, I, I wrote it there, the the spare is a duplicate of his limousine you know his mm. limousine they you know somebody nicknamed it the beast for whatever reason <laughs> right. and i wrote in the what was essentially the decoy you know we yeah. were the decoy think about that for a second <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it was you know zach same car and it was usually not all the time, but it was usually one car ahead of his. Okay. Hmm. So if you're along the motorcade route as a, you know, somebody looking to see the president, you see this big black car with the American flag coming and you're like, this is, you know, this is the president's car. And I sat in the same seat that he sat in, uh, in hmm. his car. So they see my car first. They look in my window and they're expecting to see, you know, the president of the United States. And instead, they probably see me <laughs> sticking my camera out the window, taking a picture mm-hmm. of them. Because it was just such an interesting juxtaposition mm-hmm. to watch that anticipation that they're going to see the president. And then instead, they see, you know, myself and probably a Secret Service agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then five seconds later... I can hear them screaming because they're now mm-hmm. seeing the president, you know, which is yeah. kind of fun. I do want to take a moment quickly early on just to promote. You've got a number of photo books available for purchase. We're going to link to them in the episode notes. But there's also, as I mentioned in the intro, this amazing documentary called The Way I See It, and it's on Amazon Prime. And I'll tell you, I watched that documentary and it it was so well done. It's such a compelling story. And four or five times it, uh, it, it I watched it alone and it brought me to tears oh, watching yeah. the documentary. And, and there's so much that goes goes into, you know, why that, that would have happened. A big part of that is your story, your incredible history, the amazing photographs, iconic photographs. But also just, you know, the uh, uh, and we will try not to get uh, too political in this because we do want to keep it about sort of fatherhood and and parenting and so forth. But just the, you know, overwhelming uh, sadness for where our country is now. And I don't want to say nostalgia. It wasn't forever ago, but how much I I miss that 
time in history when there was this uh, sense of hope and decency and kindness and you know th- there's so many adjectives to to describe it and and it was also just such an unprecedented presidency and you were there documenting all of it it's just so so overwhelming and the film was so well done so I'm all that to say uh parents listening please check out the the documentary on Amazon Prime I'll also link that in the episode notes it's such a a wonderful look into uh, who Pete Souza is and your incredible career. Um, so just wanted to make sure to to say that and recommend that. I will note to the director, Don Porter, while she was working on, you know, the film with me, she was also doing a documentary on John Lewis, Congressman John Lewis. So, oh my um, gosh. yeah. Wow. So Adam just mentioned fatherhood and parenthood and stuff. And, and, you know, we just almost, we always ask our guests sort of up front, you know, like, can you tell us just a little bit about your family and, and, and maybe can we hear a little bit about Pete Souza, the dad? I mean, I think we've, yeah. we've heard about a granddaughter who's perhaps maybe the subject of some photography these days, but what can you tell us uh, about your family? Yeah. I mean, you know, like uh, many families ours is is uh a, a little different in that my wife was previously married and her husband died suddenly of a heart attack when she was nine months pregnant and uh, oh with, with also with a two-year-old at home and i met her four or five years later and uh became a big brother to her son when he was uh, three, I think, three or four. And then later, you know, I started dating her. And, you know, we've now been together for uh, 27. So I don't know how long we've been together. I know how long we've been married. We've been married for t- <laughs> mm-hmm. 10 years, but we've been together for uh, like 27, if my math is right, something like that. Uh, and, you know, and I became very close to her kids and uh you know they're i'm the only you know father figure they they knew and then uh our daughter has two kids now they're both about to have their birthday i'm looking at the date it's the so one the first <laughs> the second one turns one in four days oh man and oh, wow. oh, the great. older one turns four at the end of this month yeah did they live close enough that you get to spend a lot of time with them? They're they're two hours away, which is too far. Um, <laughs> but you know, like we drove up there for uh, Halloween um, because you know I had to wear my giraffe costume and <laughs> and the four year old, the almost four year old was a unicorn. So I'm just trying to think. I'm trying to do some math too in my head as as I'm listening to you talk about one and four year old grandkids. And it, it seems like looking from the outside with your time during the Obama presidency that you worked sort of tirelessly, I, I, I would imagine. I'm sure it was amazing, but it must have been also sort of just exhausting. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, you're outside life, your personal life, your family life. Do you did you feel as if you sort of had to put some parts of that on hold? during those years or how did you sort of maintain a balance with those two things? Yeah. I mean, 
first of all, I'll say that, you know, for for uh, nine years, I worked at the Chicago Tribune based in uh, their Washington bureau. Hmm. And that was actually I had a lot more flexibility then, hmm. uh, even though I did do some international assignments where I was gone for a month or six weeks or for the most part, I was around to be a part of Patty's two kids as they were growing up, you know, so that was fortuitous in that sense, you know. Yeah. By the time I joined the White House staff, they were they they were young adults. So Okay. And I didn't have <laughs> I didn't have much of a personal life. Um, you know, it it's we're in Madison because my wife when she retired from teaching said she wanted to move move here and I just went okay. Because I figure everything that I had put her through for eight years, you know, if that's what she wants to do, let's let's do it. Yeah. But I mean, I kind of missed like every birthday, wedding, a friend's yeah. funerals. You know, I missed everything. I, I I'd say most of my friends that did not live in the D.C. area, I didn't see for eight years. You know, yeah. and wow. that's a long period of time to go without connecting with yeah. with people i remember <laughs> i think it was the week after i left the white house this uh friend of mine in atlanta called me and i hadn't heard from him in eight years and he you know he just calls me out of the blue and he goes it's frank and um <laughs> and i said how come i haven't heard from you frank and he's like well i didn't want to bother you and i was like wait you didn't want to bother me for eight years come on man so anyway that's <laughs> Such a Frank. It's a, it sounds like such a Frank thing to do. Yeah, it's a Frank thing. <laughs> Did you have guilt around that? Or were you able to think about it as though this is a, it's not a, wasn't a once in a lifetime opportunity because you'd had a similar opportunity, you know, uh, decades before, but that you were doing this public service really as a, I mean, you use the phrase visual historian and you were as you said, the right person, the best person to do the job. Did that sort of help you get through that period and, and sort of justify that I'm doing this very important thing that really nobody else should be doing? And I'll return back to, you know, maybe more of a normal life when this is over. It can't go longer than eight years, right? Well, I mean, it's I tried to tell myself that, but that's a hard that's a hard thing to do. Um, especially one of the people that worked for me uh, at the White House died of cancer during the administration, and his funeral was when we were in some Asian country. I don't even remember. So I, you know, missing that was really hard. Yeah. So it was. Uh, was there guilt? Yeah, there was some guilt, but I. You know, I tried to justify it by I didn't ever want to miss anything. You, I mean, you never know when history is going to unfold. And, um, you know, it would be harder to live with myself if I, you know, took a weekend off and the shit hit the fan while I was, you know, an hour away lying on a beach or something like that. I don't like want people to feel sorry for me or anything like that because I did this to myself. You know, my attitude was if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it, you know, I'm going to go all in and do it the right way. 
You, over the decades, have put yourself in some very physically challenging, um, some very, you know, frankly, like very dangerous, you know, risky situations, war zones, for example. And I wonder what kinds of conversations are you having with your wife, kids, your parents, even before making the decision to put yourself in those situations. And then I think maybe the flip side is if one of your kids or grandkids one day decides that they want to pursue their passion, choose a career that has some of those inherent risks, how would you kind of advise them based on your your own experience and your decisions? Yeah, I mean, I am not and was not a war, a conflict photographer. I did cover the Kosovo refugee exodus. I was not inside Kosovo while that war was going on. I couldn't get in. I probably would have gotten in if I could have. Afghanistan, uh, I remember saying to my wife something along the lines of, this is maybe a month after 9-11. This is my generation's Pearl Harbor. Mm. You know, I have to document this. I didn't know really what I was getting myself into because my what we were attempting to do was get across the northern border, which was still northern Afghanistan was still under the control of the U.S. backed Northern Alliance. And so I thought we'd be pretty safe there. But then colleague and I decided to try to make it across the mountains to be, you know, close to Kabul where the fighting was taking place. And so I had, you know, a few days there was like we were right, right in the midst of sniper fire and rocket propelled grenades and tank fire where, you know, I'm probably in some ways lucky that I'm sitting here right now because th- there were a couple of close calls. But I think I learned from that that I was not actually good <laughs> at that. You know, there's some people, James Knockway, Lindsay Adario, Tyler Hicks, that, you know, thrive and are able to do a really great job in conflict situations. I did an okay job, but I realized that it was not my my thing, (laughs) that this was not something that I was probably going to do again. It seems like the lesson there, you know, maybe the message to younger people would be a trust your instincts and if you, it's not something you want to do then don't do it but also if you think you might want to do it the only way that you're going to find out whether you do or not or whether you're good at it or not is to is to do it well and don't do it the way i did it which was <laughs> which is you know most of the journalists and photojournalists before they went to afghanistan went through training i did not have a flak jacket um, oh, there was wow. another photographer that was with me. When I say with me, I mean, he was within my space the day we had some close calls and he he got shot by sniper fire in the back, but he had a flak jacket on, mm. you know, so he got hurt, but not that bad. And, you know, it, if that had happened to me, I would have been killed. But I mean, I think that one one concern that I've heard in conflict situations is, you know, I was 40-ish when I went to Afghanistan. So I was, you know, seasoned guy in terms of uh, being a photojournalist. But 
the I think there's a lot of kids like just coming right out of college want to go right to war zones, and that's a dangerous thing to do. I think. Mm. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so thinking and thinking about the, what it was you were documenting, particularly during your 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 time with President Barack Obama. I mean, obviously him and the situations and some of the the, the historical monumental events that took place during his presidency. But there's also this sort of slew of qualities that you were regularly documenting. Kindness, respect, empathy, compassion, the importance of doing hard work. I mean, your work highlights the president. It's one of the most high profile instances or examples of those kinds of qualities and without necessarily going too far down that road. I mean, it does feel like we've sort of lost sight of those, the importance of those things in the last few years. And I just wonder what it means to you to have captured those examples and have those to be able to share with people all over the world. And I, I think specifically, you know, we're, I think about it from sort of the perspective of like a father for children, you know, to, to, to have these things, this, this enormous, I think I read 1.9 million photographs you've captured over this, the course of this time. What does it mean to you to sort of have, have been the person who's captured so many of these examples? Yeah. I mean, in, in, in some ways I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. Um, the power to me of the still photograph. One of the things that I always strive to do in my photography, especially during the Obama administration, was to make authentic photographs. I think a photograph can be a pow- powerful document in, 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 in some ways more so than words. It, oftentimes, you could see the character of this particular man in not just the way that he went about making decisions, but in the way he interacted with other people respectfully, as you said, kindly, at times angrily, because that's, we all have those emotions occasionally, right? And understanding, you know, one one of the the, the first time that we had a national tragedy when he was president was a shooting at, at Fort Hood oh, yeah. uh, in 2009. I think it was towards the end of the year. And I forget how many people were shot and killed, but it was, you know, it was quite a few. And you're suddenly thrust into that situation where, you know, the president flies to a memorial service at Fort Hood. But what people don't see was him having to meet each of the families. What's worse than having a, you know, somebody in their 20s just be shot and killed and the, and their life is it's over. You know, and then you're you're the parent or in some cases the wife having to, you know, meet the President of the United States under these circumstances. Nobody teaches you. There's no five-point bullet list on, here's what you do when you're President of the United States and you have to go greet families after a national tragedy when a dozen people have been shot and killed. There's no, like, 
book that tells you how to do this. I could see, um, I wouldn't say nervousness, but didn't know what to expect, I guess is probably the best way to do it. And learned that, you know, people just wanted to be able to tell the President of the United States about their son or daughter or husband mm -hmm. and maybe show them pictures and they wanted maybe some of them wanted a hug, you know, and Michelle went on that trip as well. That's something that he had to do too many times in his presidency. You know, Newtown, which is highlighted in, in the doc film, mm -hmm. was the worst of them because it involved, you know, 20 first grade kids, you know, and think about what that's done to, you know, 20 different families. Like that is such an example of how to be empathetic and compassionate or even, you know, just, or how to just be there for another human being. You know, to, to me, that's one of the most important things about what you've, you've done with your collection of, of, of photography is capturing these moments of a really wonderful example of how to be a good human being. And also to know in his particular case, what his election meant for so many young people of color, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. That they are just becoming aware maybe of our political leaders and to see somebody that looks like them <laughs> in the Oval Office. I mean, the, the, the picture that, that comes to mind is the young five-year-old kid, Jacob Philadelphia, when uh, he came into the Oval Office and had said uh, to the president that his friends had told him that his haircut was just like President Obama's. And with that, you know, President Obama bent over mm -hmm. and said, you know, go ahead and touch it. At a 90-degree um, angle. I mean, what yeah. what an amazing, iconic photograph. Yeah. it's And it was, it was one of those... Photographs that you know, you talk, we talked about timing, anticipation. I had no idea this was going to happen, right? Right. I have one frame. It's one frame. Oh, man. Click, and it was over. You know, fortunately, mm -hmm. it was in focus, and you see his hand touching his head. It's funny, he's, uh, not to drop names, but I'll go ahead and drop a name. I was having this <laughs> conversation with uh, Steven Spielberg. I saw him at some event. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I think it was a birthday party for President Obama, and he was he liked my the documentary film, so that's why he came over and started oh, talking wow. to me. Right? He he's thought it was great, and that he's fascinated with still photography, and so he was asking about um, that particular photograph, and he wanted to know what was the frame right before it, and what was the frame right after it. And I have to go back and look. So the frame right before it is President Obama bending over. I've got a picture of just him bending, and Jacobs hasn't done anything yet. And the next picture is Jacob touching his own head. Oh, wow. You know, which is really kind of cool, I thought. Yeah. Wow. It's an interesting segue because, well, I, 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 I love the theme of 
Obama in particular interacting with young people. I think uh, those photos are so wholesome, so genuine. In the documentary, it's discussed how, you know, his his daughter sort of grew up in the white in the White House and over those 8 years became young adults, but he how he he just had such a way with young people and and you do such a wonderful job of capturing that. But to your point about Spielberg's question, what was the frame before and what was the frame after? I think so many photographers now, just because technology allows for it, sort of just press down the shutter and they'll get 40 photos of any given moment and have the flexibility to choose that one perfect one that hits it right at the moment. And clearly you come from sort of a different school of photography where you have to really consider it. Sure. There's moments where you only have that one, you know, you're banking on your experience to make sure that you compose it correctly and you're in focus and and expose it correctly and you get your shot and, and you either get lucky or you don't. Right. But there's so much more flexibility now and and people don't have to necessarily have that history and skill set in order to be able to take or or make in in to use your language amazing photographs. And I got thinking when preparing for this, we got my, you know, daughters who are nine and six, uh, a couple of years ago for Christmas, just a little Polaroid camera, you know, one of the little mini Polaroid ones that you can get from wherever target and a couple packs of these Polaroid sheets. And they started snapping off these photos. And of course they're used to grabbing our iPhones and running around and taking photos of whatever they want. And they started taking these Polaroids and, you know, it was looking at the floor or looking at the ceiling or half of somebody's face. And I found myself inclined to sit them down and say, you can use this camera however you want. Take pictures of whatever you want. However, you have this limited number of sheets. Yeah. And, and you may I just want to think about them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're not cheap, They're not but cheap. you may want to think about what to you makes for an interesting photograph tells an interesting story. And if that is your feet, then that's fine. But just trying to, I guess, give them an ounce of discipline on being a little bit less haphazard and trying to break away from this notion of, you know, I can shoot a thousand photos and it doesn't matter what they are because one of, if one of them is cool, I can put it on Instagram. I, I, I don't disagree with you, but I will say that, <laughs> You still, you can have 30 frames a second, but if you're not anticipating, you know, the moment, you could still be a little late and not get it. I think, you know, when I, mirrorless cameras weren't quite where they are during the Obama administration as they are today. You know, I was still using a DSLR, which made a little noise, which is a Canon 5D yeah. system. It's pretty quiet. But so I had kind of taken the approach that in these private situations, in the Oval Office situation room, I was not ever going to do the, you know, motor drive yeah. kind of thing. Um, and so I was just in a routine of click, click, you know, waiting, click, you know, waiting for, waiting for the moment and not doing the rapid fire Somebody said the word story a minute ago. I mean, there's there's the anticipation piece, there's the timing piece, but there's also just like understanding how to tell a story and the nuance of only showing 
so much of something that I think right. is a thing that we, right. we just peep with this ability to just take whatever and delete the stuff you don't like. I mean, it's just fully lost. I feel like on, yeah. uh, in that. No, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I do use the word like make a photograph instead of take a photograph. Yeah. And, and, and <laughs> it's kind of an Ansel Adams thing, you know, and Ansel mm. was a completely different kind of photography than I was obviously, you know, landscape photographer that a lot of different technical aspects going into his work than mine. But I say that mostly because I want people to ask me, why do you do that? And I can I can say to them because I look at it as there's actually some thought into <laughs> into uh, what I'm doing. Like I'm, I'm yeah. consciously trying to look through that viewfinder and compose the picture the way it should best be framed. I'm waiting for the moment. I'm trying to decide, you know, what to keep in the frame, what to keep out of the frame, what should my background be. You know, all that kind of stuff is going through. Uh, my mind a lot of times intuitively and so that's why i use the word make because i just yeah. want people to to know that there's actually some thought to every time i push that shutter pete you you have a, a number of books out you mentioned the obama book uh, obama an intimate portrait of course there is the book shade a tale of two presidents which you um have cover a lot of that same subject matter on your social media we're going to link to all of this and i hope that parents listening will check out some of those books and please check out the documentary on amazon prime is there anywhere specific that you like to direct people to purchase your books? Are you a lo- big uh, yeah, advocate like, of local I, bookstores? Yeah, I like local bookstores. You know, I try to support local bookstores here in Madison. And Mark was talking about some of the uh, characteristics of President Obama. And I, mm-hmm. I swear he was reading from one book that you have haven't mentioned, which may appeal to your audience, which was called Dream Big Dreams. Oh, yeah. It's for young readers. So it's, it's and, it, and, it, and it, it, the chapters are all the things that you were mentioning, work hard, yeah. be kind, respectful, all that kind of stuff. Wow. And it, it delves into his presidency, but for, I'd say, between nine and 12 year old in, in that. Yeah. In that. So some of your some of your audience may enjoy uh, that book. It's just it's a small book. It's maybe, I don't know, 50 pages or something like that. Yeah. Sounds like a great holiday gift uh, for parents listening for your kids. Yeah. Well, Pete, uh, thank you so much for the time that you've spent with us. I mean, very very generous with your time. You know, I, I, I would again encourage parents listening check out the books. They're incredible. Check out the documentary. It's incredible. Is there anything else that you're working on that you would like for people to know about? Not that I can share yet. <laughs> okay. Ooh, okay. But stay right. tuned. Probably another yeah. couple of years, maybe. Then Great. follow Pete Souza on Instagram and any other social media links that you can find in our show notes to be in the loop when he makes the big announcement about whatever this uh, project is. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, guys. That's great. Thanks so much. Thanks. Pete. This was wonderful. Absolute pleasure. Yeah. Have a good night. In lieu of a recurring segment, <laughs> we talked real briefly at the top of the episode about how you had a birthday. I did. I mean, we had Halloween. 
We had Halloween. You hosted a great Halloween party. And I hope you had a nice time. I had a great time. Met some of your buddies that I hadn't met before. The kids had a blast. I ate a Rice Krispie treat that was orange. (laughs) I didn't get any of those. It they was, went fast. It was good. And then you turned 40-something. You had a birthday? Something doesn't matter. 40-something. Well, yeah. how was the birthday, though? It was very nice. My wonderful wife, Jamie, planned, unbeknownst to me, uh, an outing for the two of us. We went on a little date night, um, and we had, uh, we had a babysitter, and the kids were stoked about that. The kids loved, the kids loved that. Brendan. <laughs> It was not Brendan. Um, it was a, an actual babysitter. And so, yeah, me and the missus, we went up and uh, we went into Portsmouth to a little jazz club called Jimmy's. And uh, we had some delicious cocktails by the fire. And then we listened to some incredible jazz music from the, uh, the famed uh, Fred Hirsch trio. Yeah, uh, a guy whose who whose whose name uh, I'm a, I'm a little embarrassed to admit I was admit I was not familiar with. But he blew you away. It, it was incredible. It was incredible. And I and I've 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 looked him up obviously since then. And the guy's been around for a donkey's age. Played with some of the greatest, you know, people in the business, and and has has done a ton for jazz uh, over the last four decades. <laughs> Um, and then the next day was kind of like a little bit of a lazy day, bit of a headache, but I got, no, nah, I was good. It was all good. But we got, we got my, my brother and his kids together and we went out for lunch and then we ended up here at the house and then, and then the neighbors kids came over and then the neighbors themselves came over mm-hmm. and it was just a hanging out, living life with kids running around, running amok, but having the time of their lives those moments, man, are just kind of increasingly clear to me that that's what it's all about. That's what it's you about. Know? That's what this whole, whole trips around the sun are all about. Well, I think that brings us to the end of the episode of Modern Dadhood featuring Pete Souza. Tell you that. Again, listeners, you can find uh, every episode of Modern Dadhood at uh, our website, moderndadhood.com or any of the places where you find podcasts like Apple Music or Apple Podcasts or Amazon Music or Spotify. I wasn't even going to say Stitcher. Maybe I I almost went there. You were. While you're on our website, please check out the shop where you can find t-shirts and dad hoodies. There's plenty of time to order those for uh, them to be delivered to you or a loved one before the holidays. While you're on our website, you can also link to our social media platforms. You can send us an email on the form. You can sign up for our email list. What else we got, Mark? Did I say all of it? You did. I mean, our email address, if you would like to email us directly, is hey, H-E-Y, at moderndadhood.com. We're on all the social meds, not all of them. Wherever you would expect two 40-plus-year-old dudes to post stuff. MySpace. MySpace, Friendster. Friendster. Um, ICQ. On our, on, our, on our Tumblr page. Mm-hmm. What about some thanks? Why don't we say thank you to some some friends of ours, uh, Casper Baby Pants, uh, Spencer Alby, who uh, do uh, so much for the music uh, on our show. Mm-hmm. 
Um, how about Pete Morris? Another Pete. Oh, man. I just Pete Morris. Pete Morris at Red Vault Audio. Check him out at redvaultaudio.com. Thank you to Pete Souza for entertaining our request to join us on the show and talk about you know, photography and history and fatherhood and grandfatherhood. Uh, he is a, an awesome dude. There's links to a lot of his work, including as many books in our show notes. The final thank you, Mark. It's always, always goes to you. Oh, uh, <clears throat> and thank you for listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Does it matter?